Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, hey everyone, I'm Pastor Mark. It's great to be with you today as we're in week three of our series, Unexpected Christmas. Can't wait for Christmas Eve that's coming up real soon. Uh, so there's a guy driving down the road. I mean, he's driving cautiously. He's taking everything uh, that he need, needs to be doing in the right way. And a uh, patrolman pulls him over. And the patrolman pulls him over, gets out of his car, and he comes up to the car, but he's all smiles. And the guy's like, what did I do wrong? And the guy's like, no, you didn't do anything wrong. The officer said, in fact, we are doing a special program right now of giving citations of good driving to people, people who are following the rules, who are obeying everything. And he said, you fit that thing. And he said, along with this paper citation as a, as a souvenir, he goes, we also have a $250 cash prize. And the officer said to the man, what do you think you might do with that $250? And the guy thought, he said, you know, I might pay off some of those traffic fines and I might see how much it costs to get my license uh, from being unrevoked. The officer's stunned, and he's thinking, and all of a sudden, the guy's wife leans over from the passenger seat and says, oh, don't pay any attention to him. He talks so stupid when he's drunk. And just about that time, some guy in the back seat sits up, and he says, "Uh, I told you that this car that we stole was going to be found out by the law enforcement. By then, the officer, as you can imagine, is just about ready to arrest the guy, when out of nowhere... A voice comes from the back trunk and says very clearly, have we crossed the border yet? That's maybe one of my all-time favorite funny stories. And I think like many of you, uh, we have said things that we wish we would not have said, like the driver or the wife or the backseat passenger or the guy in the trunk. We all have said, I have said my fair share of things that I regret and wish I would not have said. And in fact, Jesus, as we've been focused on Christ and his birth and then his ministry, actually, as I look a little bit today, even though we're still in the series of Advent, Jesus said some things that a lot of us wish he would not have said. Things that kind of cramp our style, things that kind of mess up our level of comfort in our life. We're like, Jesus, man, why didn't you just keep saying, love your neighbor? Why didn't you just keep saying, this, why did you have to say this? Why did you have to say this? Why did you have to, you know, get so high challenge on so many different things? But today, I want to look at one sentence, one statement that Jesus made that is probably the most controversial statement. Actually, it's clearly the most controversial statement that Jesus ever made. And I would argue is possibly and probably the most controversial statement ever uttered in human history. Now, that should pique your curiosity. You're like, okay, what in the world did Jesus say? What in the world was going on? Well, the setting is actually the night before his crucifixion. He's with his disciples and having some final conversations with them. And in the midst of that conversation, he tells them that he's going back soon to his heavenly father, but they will be able to join him there someday. And then he goes on and says, and you know this place 
that I'm going to, you know about it, you know what it's going to be like, to which they're starting to get puzzled, and they're like, you know, and finally Thomas speaks up and says, um, Jesus, uh, we have absolutely no clue what you're talking about. And when you said we know how to get there, we have no idea, like no map, you've given us no directions. Jesus, would you clarify how in the world we get to this place that you're going someday? To which Jesus uttered these words that I would argue are the most controversial ever uttered in human history. You'll see them on your screen. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying that he is exclusively the only way to God. There's no side door to God. There's no escape hatch. It's just through him. Now, I don't know about you, but can you see the controversy in the statement? Maybe you're listening today to me and you're like, yes, I disagree with that. Yes, that's um, not, that's a very exclusive statement. That's not very inclusive. That's not very tolerant at all. You mean there's only one way? Seriously, Mark, there's only one way. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven. And it's through Jesus? Like, Come on now, what's going on? In other words, in fact, claiming that there's only one way to God is quite intolerant, is it not? Wouldn't you say that? Like, where's the tolerance here? Where's the other opportunities? Where's the other? The only one way seems incredibly intolerant. In fact, a, a lot of people uh, take their faith in the same approach. As far as they're concerned, to believe there's only one way to God is considered quite narrow-minded and, frankly, bigoted. Uh, our society cherishes the fact that you and I can believe whatever we want, that there is something that we can believe in, but as long as I can believe that and you don't have to tell me what I have to believe. In other words, tolerance, right? Tolerance at any cost. I, I think that's become a very clear phrase in our culture, a very uh, clear way of living in our culture is this whole idea of tolerance at any cost. I can believe what I want to believe. Hey, Mark, you can believe what you want to believe, and Jesus can believe what he wants to believe, but don't infringe those on me. Don't enforce those beliefs upon me. In other words, we have our own levels of truth. See, that, that sounds so good on the surface, does it not? Like, man, that sounds so great. We can almost be like utopian. Like everyone is happy. Everyone can believe what they want. Everyone can uh, experience what they want. But is that really reality? You know, can all beliefs be true at once? And you're like, like, Mark, this is a really interesting sermon to preach as the season of Advent, shouldn't we be talking about the baby and the manger and about the angels and about the shepherds and about the wise men? And well, we've, we've done that. Actually, go back the last couple of weeks and we're going to talk a little bit more about that on Christmas Eve. But I really felt prompted that we needed, if we're going to talk about this baby Jesus, if we're going to talk about him coming to earth changed everything, then we got to explain what in the world changed. Was it a great human history event that 
everyone argues who lived at that time that happened. There's no denying the fact. In fact, those who deny the fact that Jesus came to earth frankly, don't know their history, and those who were, who were historically there say he was, so the rest of us who weren't, I don't know where we're coming with that from. But yet, what's the big deal? What in the world's the big deal about Jesus? Why is his coming the first time and his second coming such a, such a huge event? Why should we care? Well, that's why I wanted to lean into this today in a very unique statement that he made. Now, getting back to the question is, can all beliefs be true? Can they all be true at once? Can, how's that kind of work? Well, I want to give you a, a very pragmatic example. Imagine a kid in second grade was asked the questions to, by his teacher. You know, Sammy, what is two plus two? And Sammy thought for a while and with great confidence said, 37, 37. Now, would the teacher be intolerant if she said to him, Sammy, you're wrong, would she? I mean, would that be intolerant to say, Sam, you know, you, you're not right. Um, it wouldn't be right for me to, to tell you that the answer's wrong. She's thinking, you know, like, I, I can't do that. See, if that's the right answer for you, then maybe that's the right answer, right? This is kind of what the tolerance perspective would say. Well, of course, we're all screaming and saying, no, you can't do that, teacher. You can't just let him say, well, it was right for him. If he believes it's 37, Sammy, you go on living your life thinking that 2 plus 2 is 37. I don't think there's a parent or a grandparent watching right now that would say that's the right way for the teacher to approach this. That by her being tolerant to what he believes to be true, that that's okay. Of course it's not. Right? Because 2 plus 2 is 4. It's not 37. It's an absolute fact. See, believing that any way you want to believe is okay, as long as you believe it, doesn't work in the real world. We want to believe that whatever I believe is okay as long as I believe it, but those facts just don't add up. Classic example. What if I said you asked me for directions to Columbus, Ohio? And I just said to you, now, you know, hey, just take any road you want. Turn any way you want, go any direction you want, and you will end up in Columbus, Ohio. You're probably never going to ask me for directions again. Why? Because there's an absolute right way to get from where we are to Columbus, Ohio. There's certain roads you take, okay, to get there. Is Jesus then saying that all other religion and all other philosophies are wrong? Well, let's hold on to that. But as I start to help you see that, I could say that I'm Peter Pan. I could say, folks, today, you, know, I might, you might think I'm Mark Coulter, but I'm Peter Pan. But if I can't back up that I'm Peter Pan, then I'm not Peter Pan. And the same goes to Jesus. If Jesus says that he is the Messiah, that he is the way, that he's the truth, he's the life, there's only one way to the Father, if he can't back that up, then he's wrong. But the reality is that he can back it up. You know, I thought about spending some time today talking about all the proofs behind Jesus' claim to not only be the Son of God, but the only way to God. Um, like the fact that he lived a perfect life, uh, that he performed miracles, that he fulfilled prophecy, 
that he defeated death and he rose again from the grave as he predicted. One of the things I say a lot, especially around Easter time, if someone predicts their death and their resurrection and they pull it off, you better start listening to that person, right? There's all kinds of different ways I could go about today proving that Jesus is who he says he is and that then subsequently every statement he made is 100% true, including that he is the only way to God. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to actually talk about another way to prove that God is true and that Jesus is the only way to him. And I'm going to do that by sharing a story from one of my favorite authors, Donald Miller. And he actually shares why he believes and why he follows Jesus. And he says it's because of penguins. (laughs) This should keep you with me for a few minutes. You know, I don't know if you know this, but penguins travel in enormous groups, sometimes up to to 500, and they they swim in the coldest parts of winter. All 500 of them, or whatever their group is, will swim until they hit ice. And once they get ice, they'll jump out of the water one by one, and they slide on their bellies, kind of creating a rut through the ice as they follow along. They do this for days, uh, but after a while, they, they stop sliding, they get into a big circle and they start making noises. And actually what they're doing is they're trying to find a mate. Um, crazy scene, obviously. It's like a penguin nightclub or something crazy going on. And they waddle around on their ice dance floor until they, they find a mate. Then they do what penguins do and the females lay the eggs. Then the males go over to the females and the females give the males the eggs. And this is maybe the coolest part. Then the females leave. The males have the egg that was laid, and then the females just take off. In fact, they travel for days back to the ocean, and they go fishing for quite a while. The males then take care of the eggs. They sit on them. They gather around in an enormous circle to keep each other warm. Of course, it's freezing there, and they do this for an entire month. The males will sit out there with the eggs. Um, They don't eat. They just watch the eggs. And then the females come back. And here's what's fascinating. They come back right at the time when the eggs hatch. The females somehow know, even though they've never had babies before, even though they don't have a clock or an alarm clock or a calendar or anything, they instinctively know when to return. Right when that baby is going to be born. In other words, they have this radar inside of them that tells them where to go and when to come back. And they show up on the very day or close to the very day that their babies are going to be born. So what does this have to do with Jesus' claim? What in the world does this have to do with Jesus' claim? Well, if you struggle with Jesus' claim of being the only way to God, Did you know that your spiritual radar, my spiritual radar, actually draws us right back towards him, to believe in him and to commit our lives to him? Now, the reality is you and I can run away from it. We can deny it. We can do whatever we want to do. But within us is a spiritual radar to return to Jesus the way we were designed to do. Some would say there's this God-shaped void within us. I think that's a fairly good way of saying it. But instinctively, we are designed 
to run back to God, to be in relationship with God as he designed it to be from the very beginning. Actually, Acts 17 tells us this. You'll see it on your screens. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He determined the time set for men and the exact places they should live. God did this, get this, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. And when they do that, find him, even though he's not far away from each of us. See, your and I's spiritual radar directs us back to God. Scripture tells us, Paul, when he wrote in the, to, to his uh, friend Luke in the book of Acts, says this, that God designed us in a way that would bring us back to Jesus, that we are naturally, inherently within us, have the radar to return back to him. In other words, God has been working on this since our conception. Since we were conceived, his desire is to bring us back into a relationship with his son. Why is that the case? Why did Jesus, going back to this time of year, why did Jesus give up all his heavenly rights? Why did he leave the perfectness of heaven where everything was incredible? He was the son of the father. And why did he give up everything, all his heavenly rights, dive headfirst into this mess in the first century, as I talked about last week that we call earth, and it's still a mess, right? in the 21st century. Why did he do that? He did that because we matter to God, because you matter to God. I'm gonna say that really slow and again. You matter to God. And God so desperately wants to have a relationship with you. God designed it from the very beginning as we look at in a couple weeks and go back to the book of Genesis. God created us in his image. Nothing else in all this world, in all his creation, is made in his image except human beings. He didn't create human beings because he was lonely. He's God. Actually, he had the Trinity, the perfect union, the best union ever. He did it because he wanted to pour out his love into people made after him. He really wants to get to know you. He wants to do life with you. He wants you to do life with him. He wants you and I to have this amazing, incredible purpose that only he can give you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you have seen this drawing before. It's talking about the bridge towards God that we have over here, us. And I'm not an artist, okay? So the best you're going to get is a very poor at that stick figure. And then we have God over here. Can't draw God. No one knows what he looks like. Okay? But we've rebelled against God. We've broken off that relationship. It, and that rebellion against God, that wall of hostility that we have erected is called sin. And sin, if not dealt with, sin, if not if we don't receive the remedy to that, will lead to death. In fact, Romans 3.23 tells us this, that all have sinned, every person has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence. 
Sin, what is sin? Well, sin can be an act, can be an omission, it can be an attitude, can be sin, doing the things that God told us not to do, omission, not doing what God is telling us to do. Attitude, there's you know, other things too. Sin at its core is saying that I'm in charge and God's not. I'm the general manager of the universe. God is not quite needed. And so we are over here. And we think sometimes, and this is where Jesus' statement comes back into play, that we can be made right with God through a whole host of different things. We think that religion sometimes can make us right with God. Okay? And it never will. Following rules, rules-based, we think that can make us right with God. We think, you know, sometimes I think we fall really guilty and if we think that sincerity, we think that sincerity can make us right with God. You know, if I'm just well-meaning, if I just have a right heart attitude, if I'm just, like, I really want to, I really just am a good person, you know, which kind of goes in to the third one, we think that morality and I know I write small, so I'm saying the words. We think that morality, just being a moral person, being a good person, being better than our neighbor, giving at Christmas time or whatever, can make us right with God. And so we build our own bridge. And there's nothing wrong with these three. Religion has its purpose, you know, that sincerity. I'm not saying don't be a sincere person. And I'm definitely not saying don't be a moral person. But what I am saying, and this is the thing that made Jesus' statement so scandalous and so controversial even to this day, is that none of these things make us right with God. None of these create the bridge. Why? Well, Romans 6.23 tells us this, for the wages of sin, in other words, the payout, if you will, for sin is death. Because sin must be punished. Well, we don't want to have to acknowledge that, right? That there's punishment for sin. That there can just be, God's a good God. He's so forgiving. He's so loving. He would never punish anyone. Well, then he's not a good dad if he doesn't punish. If there's not consequences. Now, I'm not going to talk about all the mercy and love and grace and forgiveness. That's obviously a part of God too. But we can't just separate out the parts we like from the parts that maybe we don't. But the good news is this, God cared for you and I so deeply that he created the one and only bridge. Now, remember this, God is the originator, God's the author. When God's the author, and that's what we're going to look at in a couple of weeks when we study the book of Genesis in January, but when God's the author, when he's the creator, guess what? He gets to set up the rules of the play. He gets to just set up how this is going to be designed. And God's design is very crystal clear that from the beginning, sin always had to have a sacrifice for restitution. The consequences of sin were always death. They always have been. And the substitute for that death in the Old Testament were animal sacrifices. Blood always had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. It's not like the concept of Jesus and Jesus on a cross and shedding his blood was some revolutionary new thing. It was in one way that I'll get to in a second, but in the way of that sin always required, or the forgiveness of sin and the rightness of being made right with God always required the shedding of blood. And so Jesus sent his son to earth, what we celebrate this time of year. And he sent his son with one singular 
purpose and mission in mind, and that was to bridge the gap. The, the gap between humanity's rebellion against God and God's perfect holiness came through the person, Jesus Christ, and was fulfilled on the cross. See, inherently, when we kind of get real with ourselves, we realize that our spiritual radar is pointing us back to God. Why? Because we try all kinds of other things to feel better about ourselves or to try to fix the sin condition. We do try these things. We like, well, I just need to be more religious. But that actually just wears us out because we realize that we can never really measure up. And we try to be more sincere. And that's great. But we realize that we still have a level of depravity to us. And same with our morality. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And so often, I just don't think we get real with ourselves. Because when we get real with ourselves and we know our thought life and we know our motives and we know our actions and we know all those other things about ourselves, the core, we realize that we are wretched. We are depraved. As Paul said, and actually it's going to be a verse I use in the Christmas Eve service, that what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. He came to that realization that we all have to get to, that we are broken and that we are helpless, and frankly, that we are hopeless when we try every other substitute except Jesus Christ. So my question is, where do you think you are on this continuum? If you think you're God, well, that's a story for another day. We'll address that. But are you over here somewhere? Are you starting to walk maybe a little bit closer or have you come across and recognized the only fix to your sin condition was the Savior? See, each of us are like the penguins, the female penguins. Is that, you probably had no idea, or maybe have never heard a sermon equating female penguins to Christianity. But we have that spiritual radar within us. Just like those moms, and God frankly designed them that way to know when it's time to go back to meet their young. God has designed each of you with a spiritual radar to return back to him. But here's the kicker. There's only one way. And that's not intolerant. Actually, it's incredibly loving. To have all kinds of ways and not knowing which one's right and which one's wrong, that's not very loving. But because God is perfectly loving and he's a good dad, he made it really clear. He made it really simple. He made it really cut and dry for you and for me. Do you need to turn your life over to Christ today? Maybe you've tried to fill the void with these three things or a thousand other things. But I'll leave you with this question. What could be so important or so significant in your life that would keep you from crossing over? What could be so important? What could be so significant? What in the world is, is holding you back that would keep you this Christmas season from experiencing the love of God 
through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray, and I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Would you let your hosts know? Your hosts want to pray with you. They want to encourage alongside of you if you're watching us on Facebook, if you're in your room. If you make a decision for Christ today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to to shoot me a text message. This is a number that comes directly to me. It's 937-358-6565. Your host will put it up there. I'm going to say it again. 937-358-6565. I want to know because you matter to us, number one, you matter to me. But second of all, we want to get you into a relationship with someone to help you grow. It's called discipleship, help you on your faith journey. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, God, I for one am so thankful that Jesus uttered those words in John 14, chapter 6 as it's recorded, or chapter 14, verse 6 as it's recorded. I, I, I the person of Jesus am the way, I am the epitome of truth, and I am the life myself, my life, and the, the person that brings life, and that there's only one way to get to my dad, to be in right relationship with God the Creator, and it's through me. If, and I pray for anyone watching today who's not in relationship with you, that they would acknowledge that their sin, they would confess their sin. The Bible in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 tells us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us of our sin and all unrighteousness and make us right with God. So if that's you today, confess. It's, come, it's to acknowledge or be in agreement with and then repent, turn away, and ask God through Jesus Christ to become the leader of your life. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.